Welcome to the Solo Women RV Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and advice from solo women RVers, van lifers, and campers who are making their travel dreams come true. Whether you're just getting started in solo travel or are a seasoned expert, this show is for you. Join us. Just because you're solo doesn't mean you're alone. Here's your host, Kathy Belch. Hey everyone, thanks for being here and welcome to episode number 68. My guest today is Emily Pennington. Emily is the author of Feral, Losing Myself and Finding My Way in America's National Parks. This is such a wonderful book. It just came out this week and I had the chance to read it. And if you like a well-written adventure story, from authors who are not afraid to be vulnerable, I highly recommend checking this book out. It's about Emily's quest to visit all 63 national parks in the midst of a global pandemic. Let's listen in. Hello, Emily. My guest today, I'm super excited, is Emily Pennington. And Emily is the author of the book, Feral, Losing Myself and Finding My Way in America's National Parks. Welcome, Emily. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, you know, I love this book and I have to tell you how I found out about it. My sister-in-law has given me the nickname Feral because of all of the travel that I do. So she actually sent this to me and said, hey, here's a book I think you should check out. So um, how, how did you come up with that name? You know, it's really funny because I have a, a really big tattoo that an artist friend of mine made for me. That's kind of like this, I always say it's like my feral forest fox tattoo. And it was kind of an homage to a really difficult year that I had in 2016 that prompted the park's journey. Um, and that fox tattoo, uh, it, it's just kind of like my little, like my little totem, I guess, my little personal inner beast and it's it's interesting because then I've seen the word take off since then on social media so I think like last year feral girl summer was trending oh, and I think okay. it ended up on the view and it's really funny to watch how a word can take off but I had the name of the book in mind for years you know before it actually came out okay well let's talk about this book this is a great book it's about you traveling to all of our nation's 63 national parks. And what kind of gave you the idea to set out on this kind of a journey? Um, so when I undertook the journey, there were technically only 62 national parks at the time. Uh, there's now 63. And as of last week, I've been to all of them. Um, American Samoa was closed for quite a while because of COVID and it's, it's a very far flung island. But, um, as I mentioned earlier, um, I had a really difficult year in 2016. Um, I kind of had all of the dominoes collapse on my life at once. I was 29. I went through a really bad breakup. I went through the worst job search of my life where I felt like I kept, you know, kept getting callback interviews and then no one hired me like 30 interviews in a row. Um, and then unfortunately I did lose three friends that year as well. And in the middle of it all, I was just starting my journey into figuring out that I loved being outdoors and I loved going hiking and backpacking often alone in these places like Yellowstone and Sequoia and Kings Canyon. Um, and so I was 
gleaning a lot of healing from those experiences. And I started thinking that I really wanted to take a year off at some point in my life and travel somewhere for a full year. And I kept coming back to this idea of the national parks as this source of inspiration and timeless wisdom. And I thought that it would be a really great and fun and remarkable experience to go experience them all. Very cool. And when you started out, did you plan to write about it? I did. Um, you know, I have, you know, I think I ha- everyone has a few like little literary um, heroes. And so I always really admired books like Eat, Pray, Love and Wild and all the really big ones. And I had heard that both of those women journaled every single day of those trips, knowing that they were going to eventually write about it. So I challenged myself to journal every day of the entire park's journey, even if I was freezing cold or had a migraine or, you know, had got really sick in the van or something. So yeah, I think it really helped add a lot of detail to the story. Yeah, absolutely. I was so amazed at the detail that you had the descriptions. And I was like, how did she remember all these, you know, this little thing? So um, yeah, it's a wonderful book. It's really well written. I mean, it's obvious that you're a professional writer. Um, This isn't one of these like, oh, I took a trip and I'm going to write a book about it. This is a book by a real writer. There was like so many passages that I highlighted and my little Kindle that I, that just spoke to me. So it's really a beautiful book. I'd recommend my reader, my listeners definitely check it out. And I think, you know, one of the things that I came away with is this is a book about visiting all the national parks, but like most good books, it's really about something else. And it's about your transformational journey and, um, a big part of that was this other breakup that you were going through in the midst of your travels. I know that a lot of the women who listened to my podcast were solo women RVers and many women that listen start out on their RV journeys after a breakup. They don't necessarily happen in the middle of one, but, um, But that was just one of the things that really struck out to me. And one of the questions I kind of had for you, you talk about it in your book, but if you want to talk a bit about the difference for you traveling when you were partnered, whether your partner was with you or not, and versus traveling as a solo person without that anchoring partner, either with you or at home. Yeah, it's a really great question. Um, And it's also funny because I set out to write, I set out to write a book that was not prompted by a divorce or a breakup, like most of the really famous um, adventure travel memoirs, especially written by females are. Um, I I thought that for sure the moral of the story was going to be, you can have it all, you know, you can, you can have a husband, but also travel all the time. And Um, it's funny that it literally right in the exact middle of the book, everything kind of falls apart, (laughs) but in terms of traveling with a partner versus traveling without one, because literally I think 
if you look at the page count, it's almost exactly mm. in the middle okay. of the book that, that it breaks. And that wasn't intentional. I just kind of got there and I was like, oh, wow, we it's kind of the middle of the parks right now. But yeah, it's really interesting. I, I would say that I, I think I laughed a lot more when I was traveling with a partner, but I also felt a lot more bogged down. Um, I think it's really challenging to find someone who has exactly the same stamina that you do or exactly the same travel style or the same to-do list in a particular park or something like that. Um, so I feel like I was able to go harder and take more risks and explore more deeply when I was solo. Um, but I, I also don't know if it was always the most fun. Um, I think also because I was traveling during COVID, I didn't often have the luxury of working out of a coffee shop, you know, or having these idyllic van life moments where you're randomly meeting up with people at a bar after a park. So I think I had a really unique, incredibly solo experience when I was yeah. solo. So there's that as well. Yeah, good point. Um, you talk about COVID. And so um, I know you had planned this trip for a long time and you had planned it before COVID. And then obviously so many things changed. And I, one of the things that I took away from your book was how much planning you obviously put into this trip, but then how much you needed to pivot based on what was going on in the world and what was going on in your relationship. I just wonder if there's, if you have any particular lessons that you wanted to share about that. Yeah, I am a super type A planner. So I had all my research dialed, you know, I had the entire trip, literally my calendar had chunks of time that was totally mapped out from, you know, January basically. And once the pandemic hit, um, I was shut down like everyone else. Um, I had to go back to Los Angeles and just kind of stay in a house for two or two and a half months. Um, And basically everything got rearranged after that. So I know Alaska got rebooked. That's one of the most complicated states to go to because of all the bush planes and the weird, you know, roads that you have to have a four-wheel drive vehicle on. Alaska got rebooked about three times. I Uh think, you know, the Virgin Islands got rebooked. There was a late season hurricane in Florida. So I had to rebook Biscayne and Dry Tortugas. And, um, you know, a lot of things got shifted around as well because I had to figure out like, okay, who do I know on the East Coast now that I'm traveling solo? Is there anyone where we could do a COVID test and then meet up in a safe way? So um, in addition to solitude suddenly being the the rule, not the exception for the, the trip itself, um, the logistics, which were already very complicated, suddenly got about five times more complicated. Yeah, gosh, I wasn't thinking, I, the Alaska, I was thinking about the Alaska trip uh, because there was so much involved with having to hire planes and, you know, all kinds of things just to, and guides just to experience that. So that must've been, yeah, must've been crazy. Um, You kind of touched on it a little bit, but one of the themes I think, and I think you might even say this specifically in your book is how being 
when you're out of control, when something's out of your control, how uncomfortable that can be, but also how empowering it can be. You want to expound on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I think that that's actually kind of a paraphrasing of a, a quote that this really awesome guide that I had in Alaska said, uh, she was talking about how, like when things aren't structured, basically it's really empowering because you can do whatever you want or go wherever you want. And so, yeah, I think that a lot of the book, especially the latter half of the book is about learning that things are always going to be out of control, even if you have the illusion of control. Um, I think the pandemic really rocked my world and so many people's worlds in such a big way that I, I really had to release a lot of my grip on what I thought was control of the world and the trip. And um, ultimately, I, I, I had to also slow down in order to be able to finish such a monumental trip because so much was more strenuous than I anticipated or was kind of out of control. Like I mentioned in November, there was a hurricane in Florida, which is typically a little late for hurricanes yeah. to be happening. When you can flip it and try to set your ego aside for a moment, there's this beautiful thing that happens where you can allow the natural experience the natural experiences that want to arise from your travel to come to you rather than trying to map them all out yourself and think that, that you can harness the kind of trip that you want. Yeah. That's a really great, really great point. I think there was a, a part where you had this realization that this trip was supposed to be about, you know, exploring and not like, checking that thing off the, off the list, checking that viewpoint off, checking that hike off. I mean, it, in a way it was checking each of the parks off a list, but it was about more like being with yourself and being in each moment. And so as someone who, you know, is like you said, a type A and more of a planner, like how, like, how difficult was that for you to actually I mean, it's one thing to say it, but to actually like feel it and get it. I mean, it's a struggle. There's, I mean, there's a lot of moments where I'm like crying or freaking out in the book because I can't, I'm watching, like I said, I'm watching my control, which is in a sense, you know, your sense of safety in a way, because mm -hmm. I once had a friend say that anxiety is a bid for control. Because there's something that your mind is trying to grab onto or something that you're just trying to fix or tweak so that you can feel safe again. And so, yeah, I think that can seem maybe a little bit trite on the page to say, oh, well, I just had to learn to let go. And then the trip became easier and I became stronger or more empowered. But the the actual going through it is, you know, I think any anyone that's had a, a deeply transformational experience <clears throat> we'll know that it's not going to be linear and it is going to be messy and funny and strange and uncomfortable in all of these ways that are divinely human, um, but also deeply uncomfortable to, to go through personally. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And I think for a lot of us who are heading out on these kinds of solo journeys, that's what we're looking for. And 
I think maybe we have this illusion that, you know, we're going to be like getting better and getting better or whatever, but it's, it's life. It's up, it's down. It's, it's all, you know, you have great moments, you have lonely moments, you have the static moments in some ways you can be more in touch with all of those things, but it is just life just because you're traveling. So you were traveling in a van that you outfitted or was it? I, I built it out mostly by myself with yeah. a friend to help me do, do the very minor woodwork on the doors, which had to be kind of cut in these perfect door shapes for my okay. little van. Um, but yeah, I, I currently have a van that is outfitted. So maybe that's what you were thinking about. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's a little, it's a little tiny minivan, but this one has a fridge. Um, Gizmo, the one in the book, was very, um, very lo-fi. Um, she, I basically had like a Yeti cooler and a full-size mattress from Amazon, and like a little okay. wooden platform with some plastic bins under it. Um, okay. That my that my friend and I kind of outfitted yeah. ourselves. Well, I mean, that's a great testament that you don't really need you know, a big old sprinter van with every little bell and whistle that you can do this really on a budget and, and very minimally. Um, one of the things that I wanted to touch on a little bit is you talked a bit about being in Washington during the wildfire season of 2020. And I was in the same area at the same time that you were there. And it was such a scary time. And visiting all of the national parks. I just wanted to hear your thoughts on like what you experienced in terms of climate change. Yeah, thanks for thanks for asking that because I feel like a lot of people sometimes brush over the climate change stuff in the book. But um, obviously as someone who works as a journalist and an outdoor writer um, and, you know, travels a lot, climate change was something that I you know, believed in and had had experiences of before going on the road. But I think that there's something deeper and more immediate about it when you're actually living in these these different landscapes and different climates. Um, I remember thinking like, wow, I've never checked the weather app on my phone so much because I live in Southern California. <laughs> um, yeah. Like it really mattered if it was going to be below freezing or if it was going to be you know, a dust storm or raining the next day. But some of the biggest climate change things that I personally witnessed was, as you mentioned, you know, seeing the the worst wildfire season, I believe, in Western U.S. history, if not all of U.S. history. Um, that wasn't, yeah, that was in 2020 when basically the entire Pacific Northwest and Northern California was like exploding. Also, as I mentioned earlier, there were some later season hurricanes that ripped through Southern Florida and caused right. pretty massive flooding and really big waves. I mean, going up to Alaska and hearing people who have been bush pilots or guiding for 20 or 30 years say that, oh, well, like this glacier used to touch the ocean and now it's a mile back up into the mountains. And, you know, on a geological time scale, like 30 years is not that much time for that, that much ice to recede that dramatically. And then, you know, I have moments like kayaking in Kenai Fjords National Park with a guide and a little group and seeing one of the biggest calving events that the guide had ever seen were like a 300 foot tall chunk of ice, the size of a skyscraper just completely keeled off of this huge glacier in the national park. So, 
And that one is that one's a little trickier because that is a, a more known to be a more rapidly calving glacier. But seeing it up close and hearing the noise of it and and witnessing how powerful and intense that level of destruction and change is makes me wonder how in a way violent and sudden a lot of these shifts are going to feel for us and for animals that we share the planet with yeah thanks for sharing that have you changed any of your practices or or what you do since kind of becoming so aware of this on a visceral level actually yeah I um I was I went vegetarian I think the last month of the book I don't even mention it in the book um and then I yeah I stayed vegetarian for I think about two years or a year and a half and I researched what the most sustainable fish was um so now I like I try to mostly eat vegetarian, minimal dairy because I don't love the the industrial dairy farming industry, and I eat, try to eat some sustainable fish here and there. But um, yeah, all those all those scenes in the early parts of the book where I'm eating barbecue in Texas, those are no longer yeah. part of my life. Even though, I, even though there are, are some really lovely you know local businesses that people can support that way. For me personally, after witnessing so much, I just didn't feel like being an outdoor journalist and not doing more about it. Um, I didn't feel like it was as moral of a choice, if that makes sense. That's also why I have a minivan. I I wanted, unfortunately, there just, there aren't quite good enough electric fans yet. I think they're starting to come now, Um, but I wanted the most fuel efficient, tiny vehicle. Awesome. That's, those are some great ideas. Any other tips that you might have for some of our listeners who do travel in RVs for ways that they can be more environmentally, I, uh, conscious isn't the word, but friendly, I guess. Yeah. I think, you know, basic things like making sure you have solar panels, I think not, maybe not running. I, I think a lot of RVs have air conditionings that you often have to plug in to be able to access them when the car is not actively on. So I think maybe not running things like AC and heat 24 seven, um, changing your diet, being mindful of traveling when you know you're going to be not moving during traffic hours. Um, I think there was a beautiful article in Outside Magazine a couple of years ago about the optimal speed to drive for mm for maximum fuel efficiency. And I want to say it was shockingly slow. It was like 50 or 60 miles an hour. And if you go 80, it is significantly less efficient, which I was really surprised to learn. Don't quote me on the numbers, but it was yeah. something like that. And it's worth reading. I guess I just wanted to ask, and everyone probably asked you this question, but was there any one or two parks that really stood out for you? Maybe that were unexpected that you weren't necessarily feeling you were going to resonate with that really hit you in some way? Yeah. You know, well, in my home state of California, I was really surprised that Lassen Volcanic doesn't get more traction. I think that it's really cool. Um, I mean, unfortunately it did get pretty impacted by wildfires, I believe in 2020 and 2021. But I know that a lot of the main kind of sites and trails are still open. 
but yeah, it's pretty amazing to know that we have geothermal features, kind of like a mini Yellowstone, but just oh. in Northern California. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really awesome. There's some really great hikes up to the summits of different peaks and cool scenic drives. Um, what else? I always like to mention Capitol Reef because I think that everyone likes to make a beeline for, you know, Zion and Bryce Canyon. But Capitol Reef, like, I think I didn't know what to expect at all. And I got there and it was before the pandemic lockdown and there weren't that many people there. And I just, I was just so blown away that there were there were these friendly rangers who would give you maps of slot canyons that you could go hike through. There are really amazing hikes to different arches and um, beautiful canyons and what else? There's a there's a really cool historic Mormon town named Fruita, Fruita um, that has orchards. I haven't been in the summer, wow. unfortunately, but you can pick fruit for free at these orchards in a national park, which is pretty cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I haven't, I don't, I haven't been to that national park, so I'll definitely have to check that one off my list um, yes. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, one of my favorites. I've been back since, cause I didn't think I had enough time there and I wanted to like really go back and explore when it was a little warmer. Yeah. Very good. So if somebody, if somebody is listening to this and is inspired to plan their own hit all 64, 63, 64 now national parks, 63. Oh, there are still 63. Okay. I thought you said yeah. there was one added. There were 62 when I went. And then in 2021, I believe New River Gorge was added. Okay. Where is that park? That's in West Virginia. And it's actually really awesome. I, I think I just posted about it today on my Instagram. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, you can, um, I, I really love parks that have not just hiking and backpacking. I love parks that you can do multiple different kinds of sports. So New River Gorge really surprised me because I thought it was just going to be, I don't know, like Shenandoah or like Great Smoky Mountains, which are beautiful, but it's a lot of like the same kinds of hikes compared to the West Coast. But New River Gorge had really amazing like sandstone formations and cool hikes and rock climbing and and they have some of the most amazing whitewater rafting in the world. I think wow. one of the biggest class five rivers is the Gali. And I got to go during Gali season and <laughs> with a guide and go down these insane rapids. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I was really impressed. And then also because it's a newer park and because, unfortunately, West Virginia is a poorer state economically. That are trying, they're trying to move away from a coal economy and into a more sustainable ecotourism economy. Um, so it's also a relatively affordable park to go to in addition to being family friendly and having so much to do. Yeah, cool. Oh, thanks for that. So yeah. if anybody, if anybody's listening and wants to plan a trip, what tips would you have for them, especially as a solo? As a solo. Okay. Um, well, I would say keep in mind that your safety is paramount. I, at the beginning of the year, thought that I would be sleeping in more idyllic places than I think I ended up sleeping. Ultimately, I found that I was, a, I felt a lot safer if I had even just one bar of cell service where I could get out a text message at night, particularly during the day, I'd often be out pretty remote and hiking. 
But in the evenings, you know, I think making sure you get a good night's sleep so that you have your wits about you is really important. So getting on some of the apps where you can find good, like free boondocking sites or good rest areas that maybe allow overnight stays. Um, that would, I would say is really important. I also, when I went hiking solo, I always tell people where I'm going and that I should be back, you know, before X, X amount of time. Um, if, you know, if I'm somewhere where I do have service, else I always, I always carry more food and water than I think I'm going to need. So I typically carry between two and four liters of water, which sounds like a lot, but it is, it's really surprising how much you can go through, especially if it's a warm day. And also I always have, I always have a sleeping bag in my van that's way too, you know, way too warm for what I'm actually going to be experiencing. I had a zero degree bag in most of the parks when I was out and about because I didn't have a heater that could be accessed without turning the van on. And then when I'm hiking, when I'm out adventuring and hiking, I always make sure to just toss like an extra puffy into my jacket just in case something happens and I'm out a little later or I get turned around. Um, it's nice to not have these anxiety gremlins kind of attacking you because the sun's going down and it's getting colder. It's really important, I think, to stay to stay safe in some of those really practical ways. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all that. You know, there was one part of your book that I kind of wanted to touch on. I'm not quite sure how to bring it up, but when you talk about safety, there was a really scary thing that happened to you and it really wasn't about being in a park. It was during an experience where you booked a massage with somebody who turned out to be super creepy. And I just wanted to say that part of the book really impacted me. One of the things that I was curious about was if you followed up at all with that, with any kind of, I don't even know, like even just like a Yelp review or reporting this person to the state massage board or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I actually did. Um, I spoke to multiple detectives about it. They kept changing people who were on my case with the Florida Board of Health. Um, I I didn't even have the language at the time until the detectives told me that technically what happened to me was sexual abuse. Um, they asked if I filed a police report. I didn't even realize that I legally could have um, because I don't think we talk about the gray areas of, of sexual assault. I guess maybe assault, sorry, not abuse. Um, and yeah, it is, it's amazing how many times you have to get on an hour long phone call with a detective after something like that happens to you to, um, to tell the story and all of the details over and over again, because they need to make sure that the evidence is uh, consistent, I guess, to make sure that your story is real. And then I had to have friends call the detectives and testify on my behalf that yes, I I did call and text them kind of hysterical that night or the next day. So yeah, I think that one of the reasons that I, I think that could have been a much worse situation than it was. And I think that trusting your gut instinct is a really good takeaway from that experience for especially solo female travelers or road trippers. I think that if your gut is telling you something's off, uh, you can always like cut an experience. You can always like, you know, end it and and leave. You always have the power to walk away, even if you are alone. Surprisingly, most people will respond well to like a very firm no, uh, even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment. Um, so yeah, that was 
probably, I mean, yeah, that was probably one of the scariest moments in the book, if not the scariest. I think it was. Yeah. And it was, you know, it wasn't, you weren't on a trail, you weren't, you know, alone in your van. It was like a very normal thing that a lot of us do, which was just to book a massage because you were exhausted and, you know, wanted some body work. So, um, yeah, yeah. I think I even, it's ironic. I think I talked to my therapist that day and he was like, oh, that's great. You're practicing self-care. You're waiting out this hurricane. And then, yeah, then this awful thing happened to me. And I, I booked like a last minute phone call with him the next day to, to kind of just go over what, what had transpired because it was so, yeah, it was just so jarring. And, and these were women run, this was a woman run massage place who, and they had no idea that this, this guy was creeping people out in this way, which is why I thought it was really important to report him. And he did end up getting fired immediately, of course, from that place. And I did call the the owners of the establishment and I didn't think it was fair to leave them a bad review because I think it's, it's really complicated, you know, when someone's more of a, a contractor rather than the owner of a, of a business. So um, so yeah, I, I went the legal route instead of the Yelp route. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that story in your book, even though, you know, it's not necessarily about traveling in the national parks. It's definitely something that happened. And, and as you know, solo women out traveling, things like this can happen. And you did do, you know, you did empower yourself. You did stop it. You did say no very clearly at the end, not to, you know, he wanted to follow you back to your place, which was super creepy. Just always, I think that's one of the key lessons we always talk about on this podcast is listening to your gut and, and don't be afraid to hurt someone's feelings or whatever, like listen to your gut, their feelings can be hurt. You know, it's okay. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Feelings are kind of from this infinite resilient source, but your, your safety or your bodily safety is not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. Emily, I really appreciate it. You're opening up and sharing with us today. Do you want to give a little information about where people can find more about you and read this book and anything else that you want to share? Yeah. In addition to writing this book, which in my opinion, it's kind of like the kind of the behind the scenes, I guess, R-rated version of the column that I wrote for Outside Magazine, which is called 63 Parks Traveler. And the book is coming out February 1st. So I think it'll be out by the time this comes out. Uh, Technically, Amazon owns my publisher. So Amazon is a great place to get it. I've been getting a lot of questions about if if people should be supporting Jeff Bezos. And actually, in this case, the answer is yes. Um, And then also, if you want to find me on social media and see lots of pictures uh, about hikes and tips and things to do in every single national park, my Instagram and Facebook are at Brazen Backpacker. Awesome. And we will link to all of that. And in addition to writing this book, you are a full-time outdoor writer. Is that correct? So we, yeah, I work as an adventure journalist and travel writer. Yeah. So we can follow you and read all of your, your travels, not just this one trip, but all the ones that you take and write about. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Last year I, I branched out a lot into some more international national parks. So I'm hoping I can continue that in 2023. Oh, yay. So you've caught the national park bug. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah, I got to do my first trip to Africa last year. I went to Tanzania. Um, I got to go to some Costa Rican national parks before that. And so I'm hoping that I can maybe do, I don't know, Nepal and I just went to Antarctica. So yeah, there's wow. some more, stuff, more stuff coming up in the future. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Emily. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you for having me. This was great. I really want to thank Emily again for coming on and talking all about her book the day before it was coming out. Here are my key takeaways. Number one, you can plan as much as you want for a trip, no matter how big or small, but things will happen that will likely make you change your course. The more you can be prepared for that, the more you will get from your journey. Number two, Think about the things you can do to have a positive impact on the environment as an RVer. Things like limiting your driving days, driving slower, changing your diet to eat less meat are all little things that you can do to preserve some of the beautiful places that we like to travel to. Number three, don't miss out on some of the lesser visited national parks when you're out there. And number four, when planning for a big trip like this, or any trip, be sure to take basic safety precautions. And most importantly, and we always talk about this, listen to your gut and trust your gut. Thanks for listening to the Solo Women RV podcast. Please join our email list over at solowomenrv.com to stay up to date on all things solo travel related. And if you like what you heard today, please consider becoming a podcast sponsor. Details can be found over at anchor.fm slash Kathy hyphen Belge. And if you know someone who would benefit from what we talked about today, please share this episode with them or leave us a review over on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really helps and makes it easier for others to find us. The Solo Women RV podcast theme music is Field Station by Nicole Potolsky. And until next week, we'll see you out there on the road.